Ladies and gentlemen, this is Nikki Bruno with the Epic Comeback Podcast, where warrior men and women who've gone through absolute caca give you advice on getting to the other side of yours. Today is International Hoodie Day, I have decided. It is casual Friday, even though it's Thursday in my home office, and I am especially super honored today because I have as my guest someone who was recommended to me by a guy named Justin Breen, who anytime he hands me a podcast guest, I thank him because I know it's going to be an epic conversation. So thanks to Justin Breen. I am really excited to welcome Mike C-Rock Sirocco to the Epic Comeback Podcast. Mike, thank you so much for being with me today. What's up, Nikki? Thanks for having me. I always like to start every interview that I'm on with gratitude and just be really express thanks and uh, let you know that I'm humbled and honored to be able to share with your audience and yourself. I love that. I feel grateful myself. I feel grateful that I've decided to have a casual day and that we are going to just, we're just going to go for it today. So Mike, I really like for my guests to introduce themselves rather than me going through their credentials and amazingness, because my listeners know that all the people who are on this podcast are excellent and amazing rock star human beings. So what I'd love to ask you is just let us know who you are and where you're from and you know what keeps you busy during the day? What's epic for you right now? Well, I live in Ocean City, Maryland. I have two kids. My wife, Jennifer, is a real estate agent. I've been married 18 years and uh, I just basically, the problem I solve, I do a lot of things, but the, what I'm really passionate about and the problem that I solve is helping people that are stuck in setbacks and paralyzed by it, that nasty feeling that happens inside the hopelessness the fear i help people get out of that proactively though and avoid that feeling uh by turning setbacks into rocket fuel for the future and i'm not all about surviving and just getting by that's all bull bull whatever i, I like to talk about blasting out of those things using it and converting it as fuel storing it in your tank instead of your trunk and that's what I'm all about. And I'm into a lot of things, which we can talk more about, but that, that'll give you a little bit of what I'm into. Well, we're kind of into the same thing, C-Rock. We're kind of into the same thing. For me, it's the epic comeback. So when you go through trauma, use the trauma. What I like to say is find the treasure in trauma. When we go through something really hard, it's the, the positive psychologists call it post-traumatic growth, that when you go through something backbreakingly hard, you can actually harness that and you can use it uh, for intense personal growth, feeling more joy than you felt ever in your life and converting that, that experience into an epic life. So it sounds like we do, kind, in, in a way, we do we have the same philosophy. We're in alignment. Yep. Yes. yes yeah. I, love it. I love it. So Mike, let's get to your Mike C-Rock. Let's, let's get to your personal story. Let's get to your epic comeback. I'd love to know... This, this, uh, this podcast is about people who have been brought to their knees, who have had the pieces of their lives scattered, and they are, they're, they're feeling broken. So would you please summarize for you what you personally went through? What, what, if, you could, if you could say there was a worst part, what would it be? Uh, well, looking back now, I don't look at any of it as worst part because of the fact that I've learned that everything that I go through is a training session for my future and that I actively, proactively, I'm ready to convert anything that's bad, negative, letdowns, discouragements into rocket fuel for my future. So looking back now, I only look back for lessons and fuel and not regret and getting stuck. So 
Um, but I will tell you, I'll share your story with where this all came from. And, you know, I came from a broken home. I don't remember my parents ever together. Um, and by the way, I tell this story before I tell this, let me preface it by saying that I don't know everything that went on. I don't know what happened with my parents. Exactly. I don't know what, what was going on in their head. Uh, I don't know exactly their upbringing, some of the things they may have gone through. So I don't hold any grudges. When I tell you this story, this is just what happened to me. And I forgive anybody that's ever done anything to me. So I just want to share that first because I take 100% responsibility for my life. And no matter what happened in the past, it's my duty to figure out what I can do with it and what I can make of it. Amen. So, so from when I was about eight to 11, I dealt with the child support, custody battles, uh, step parents getting involved, spitefulness, jealousy, all kinds of stuff that goes on with these kind of situations. And as a kid, I didn't know what the heck was going on, man. I mean, I just really thought to myself, am I a part of this? Like, am I a cause of this? What, what, like, what, what do I need to do? And as a child, I think children start to, instead of extrovert themselves, they start to introvert. A lot of kids introvert. They start looking inside and, and, and become caged up. Or on the other extreme, they go nuts. And, and we've seen that too. But most of the time it's like an introversion and they don't be, they're, they're not themselves anymore. They don't, they lost, they lose their, their personality, their, their personness. Yeah. And so when I was eight to 11, I lived with my dad and I went through a really, really tough time there. Some emotional and psychological abuse. And uh, I decided to get out when I was 11. So I told my mom one day, I'm like, I got to get out of here. This is not a situation that's conducive to happiness. I didn't know that word conduciveness, by the way, but I'm just using that now. No worries. You're 11 uh -huh. at this point, by the way, when you're having this yeah. conversation with your mom, you're 11 years yeah. old. I was coming home from a weekend at her house and I was going over these hills in Southeastern Pennsylvania and like the car ride would make it worse. And I had anxiety so bad. And I was just like, oh, I know when I get back there, I'm going to be quizzed about being at this house and what happened there. And uh, it's just all this oh, stuff. Yeah. My mom said, you don't have to go through that. That's not something that's normal. You're not supposed to do that. That's not okay. Yeah. And she said, look, I can file papers to get you there, but you need to stick to your guns. You can't flip flop. You can't go back and forth. Yeah. When you believe in something, you need to stick to it with some stubbornness because look, when you believe in something, other people will try to talk you out of it for their own agenda or to justify their position in life. For sure. And uh, you need to be able to do that. And so at a young age, she's told me that she also told me a lot about before I even knew the word leader or what, it, what that meant, leadership meant. She always said to me, man, you're, you're going to be influential. You're a leader. And, and it imprinted in my brain into my subconscious so that everything that I've always thought about actions that I took was all about leading people or showing people how to do something. Or, and so um, I, at 11 years old, I got home from school one day and my dad, who I didn't tell about the, the, the court papers coming, got served the court papers. And to his dismay and shock, he probably opened them up and saw that I was going to move or wanted to. And he said, Hey man, go to your room. Now my dad was my hero. Um, you know, I used to love it as a kid when I didn't live with him to go every other weekend and hang out with him and take trips and this and that. And he had his own masonry business. He was a block bricklayer, concrete, big forearms, rough hands. Like I was looked up to him for how hard a worker he was. And he always had a wad of hundred dollar bills in his pocket and with a rubber band wrapped around it. And I always looked up to him for that. That was something that like was cool to me. And, uh, he came back in the room after I was sitting there for five minutes, which felt like five hours and confirmed my, uh, my, my wishes. And, and I, he reminded me that my mom didn't have it that well. Like, you know, look, you know, they don't have it that well there. You got everything you need here, man. You go there, you're not going to, you're going to, it's going to be poor. This and that. So now I'm sticking to my guns. I don't really have anything to discuss. That's what I want to do. 
And the whole time, man, I was just that feeling inside. I was like, wow, man. Um, and, and keep in mind, after this happened, I had to, had to stay in that household after the news broke for a period of time until the things took place. So oh, I understand. I, really, I'm picking up what you're what you're dropping down. I'm a you know single yeah. divorced mom. <laughs> really awkward place, man. And you know, again, like I, I respect my dad. I don't get to see him by my choice at uh, this moment. But uh, and, and my mom as well. Like she didn't. She wasn't perfect either. You know, she had her you know downfalls and things. But um, we're all we're all fault, uh, uh, flawed in some ways. You know. But I just. Sure. But but I want to share this because I want to show you how I converted this. So. Uh, I confirmed that. And he said, okay, if that's the case, he takes the swat of hundred dollar bills out of his pocket, crumples one of the hundred dollar bills up and throws it at me and says, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. And whether it came from a, like a, a hurt pride or just disappointment or whatever it came from, from him, the fact of the matter is I sat there and looked at him and said, you know what? That ain't happening. You're not writing my story. I'm going to determine my future. And that came probably from the stubbornness, stick to your guns. The other thing I thought was, I thought this was an ordinary situation. I didn't know kids don't go through this stuff. I thought it was normal. Like I yeah. see things on TV with the happy families. And I thought that was just like, you know, a fictional story. And so I realized that uh, I could help other people because if, that, if this is an ordinary situation, there's got to be other people that have had their hero give up on them. And I was just going to show people that you can become great and, and everything that you do, you can be the best at despite your circumstances. And I rode that for 30 some years. And also thinking that my dad's eyes are on me. I cannot let him win. I got I to gotta excel. I'm not going to let him win. And it wasn't about the fact that I was uh, upset with him or anything like that. It was more about the fact that I'm going to win, man. You ain't stopping me. Like nothing's stopping me. I just had this like this stubbornness. So uh, basically I bottled that. Two years ago, I really became aware of what I've been driving off all these years. And I decided to bottle it into this concept called rocket fuel. And what I mean by that is I want to turn all setbacks, letdowns, and negativity, ignorant people, and disencouraging or discouraging people into rocket fuel for my future. So I do it proactively, though. I don't wait till it happens because when you're right in a, a setback and the closer proximity you are to some kind of adversity, there's less light. You might not even be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. For sure. One. Number two, you feel like hopeless and fearful, and everything's just, you can't grasp a concept at that moment. So it's important to be proactive with this. Understand that you're going to have these things happen. Bad things happen to good people, okay? And so when you know that it's going to happen and you understand that when it comes, everything bad that happens is unless it kills you, something good comes from it. So mm -hmm. let's find the good right away. Like let's acknowledge that the setback's here. Okay, mm -hmm. setback. Got that little feeling inside? All right, let's go. Get rid of it and understand that we got to look for the good thing right now. And, and instead of waiting till years down the road and looking back and saying, hmm, a lot of good came from that. I see that was meant to be. No, no, no. Let's do it now. Yeah. And then you become with a feeling when you do this of unstoppability, which is a new word I created, unstoppability and indestructibility. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to show people. That's what I, want, what I want to create. But that gives you a little background of where I came from. Yeah. That's, there's, a, there's so much there, Mike. There's so much there. And I'm really... I'm really picking up what you're dropping down. I mean, I, you know, in a situation where you've got, you've got divorce and you've got young kids who are going back and forth from one home to another. And what you were talking about, how a lot of kids internalize it and they kind of go, they kind of go quiet, you know, they kind of go off the grid. Whereas there are other kids, there are other kids who really kind of externalize and they get really angry and they get really, you know, they yell a lot and they get aggressive, you know, I, but it's I still not being them. That's still not them. You know what I mean? Either way. 
It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a I mean, that's the struggle for identity right there. Yeah, you know, your parents yeah. have your parents have almost like a monopoly on influence when it comes to your identity for that first many years. Right. Yeah. yeah. If it is, in fact, your parents who you're with. Right. Your primary mm -hmm. caregivers, I should say, may not be your parents, but there's there's so much in that. And, and the fact that you as an 11 year old were able to have the the courage, the self-knowledge, the sophistication to have those kinds of conversations with your mom and then and then with your dad, that's that's really incredible to me. And what I wanted to ask is, what is the best, what are the greatest benefits to, to this rocket fuel model that you've created? Like what I mean by that is my listeners are folks who are, they haven't had their epic comeback yet. They're going through something that is backbreakingly difficult and traumatic. They're in the muck. Right, they're in that place that you were talking about, where they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They don't know how they're going to get to the other side, quote unquote, or if they're going to get to the other side. What if you could if you could give folks who are listening a picture of what it's like to be on that other side? Which isn't to say that that nothing traumatic will ever happen again. I don't mean it that way. Like, oh, I, okay, I've gotten over, I've recovered from life, and now I'm I'm good to go. But what I mean is like, you know. There, there is another side. There is, you don't always have to be in that place of pain and that place of desperation. So what does that look like? Like, what are the benefits? What's, what's, what's beautiful from your point of view in your personal experience? What's beautiful about being on that other side um, and, and being in that epic comeback? What does it look like? Well, first of all, it's not that part of it. It's the pre part of it that I like. And the problem is, is that People think that there's no other side sometimes. They have no hope. It all stems from that. And it all comes from a scarcity. And we've heard this term before, but it's very important how it relates here. A scarcity mindset. So when you get, when you're married, first of all, I think people like this could solve most marriage problems. If people start worrying about being successful in the relationship rather than being right, that mm -hmm. stems everything. Not, uh, I mean, most things I can tell you that I've experienced. I've been married 18 years, by the way. Uh, despite my mom being married three years or three times, my dad twice, I've been able to do the thing that they haven't. And the reason is, is that I was watching. And what I found out was, is that they were more worried about being right. They had a scarcity mindset mm -hmm. when it came to money or things or people or what have you. And when you have an abundance mindset and you're more worried about success and celebrating and encouraging the other person than yourself, it changes everything. So when you're coming out of that and it's too late to resolve that issue, right? And you get into these traumatic experiences and it, it might be with abuse. It might be with other things, right? Uh, at that moment, the first and foremost that I always look at is 100% responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like everybody wants to blame the other person. Now there is cases where the other person is at, at fault. I'm not ever saying that when you take 100% responsibility that the other person didn't do anything wrong. That's right. But when you give 1% or one ounce or anything of responsibility to the other person, you lose control, mm -hmm. some semblance of control and you become the puppet. And that's the word I use. It could be some other word, but I'd rather be the puppet master or the puppeteer. And so I can do that when I take 100% responsibility. And a friend of mine, Greg Reed, who that's how I met Justin Breen, by the way, has interviewed a lot of successful people. And I believe it was a billionaire that told him, a real successful guy that had a marriage, was happy, and he had a lot of money, successful businesses. And he told him the CPC rule, and that was clues, patterns, choices. And so 
when we take 100% responsibility that we have our body to control and ourselves to control and we can't control and change other people, all we can do is look for clues, look for patterns, and then we have a choice. Yeah. And so the, he uses an example of somebody dating, a, a young lady comes for a date. And if the lady showed up late, that's a clue. Later on, if she is. does it again. If she does it again, it's a pattern. And then yeah. from that choice, at that point, you're not changing her on that pattern. She is what it is. It's your choice whether you want to put up with her or not and have her in your life. So that's the thing that goes on with everybody, with everything in life. So um, the CPC, clues, patterns, choices, allows you to take 100% responsibility and understand that you're not going to control or change anyone. And it's up to you to determine your life. Now, the 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 the, the um, scarcity mindset and uh, hopelessness is is the cause for people to be stuck in setbacks and stuck in trauma. And so for me, for example, when I'm married, um, I'm not worried about getting divorced or separated because I'm always going to support my wife and encourage her. And I, I make sure that her goals in life align with my goals. And we make sure of that. And if it ever comes down to a time where I'm doing all that, but she doesn't, and she starts doing the pattern thing, yeah. it's my choice, whether I want to put up with it or move on. And in that case, I need to prepare myself with just proactiveness. I need to prepare myself to be the best person I can possibly be. So that if she were to ever do that, God forbid, I don't, I don't see that ever happening, but if it did, I'm prepared to go on with my life by myself, mm -hmm. take care of my kids and yeah. be the best partner for someone else possibly down the road. And I'm not wishing that on anyone. I'm just saying, if you have that in mind, like, look, man, I'm good. Like I, if, if, if I know I'm doing everything I can and my wife does something crazy, I'm, I'm good enough that I know I'm taking care of myself. The problem is people get that hopeless feeling of anxiety because they know they're supposed to be doing something that they're not doing. And that could be taking care of themselves physically, their diet, their health, their money, their mindset, their knowledge. Yeah. And so, yeah. So let me see if I, let me see if I have this right. It sounds to me like what you're saying. So, so if I'm asking what for you is, what does that look like have, being on the other side, having the epic comeback? It sounds to me like what you're saying is the sweet spot for you isn't so much being on the other side of the trauma. It's that moment where you take the responsibility and you make the decision that your future is in your hands. And like you said, it's really important to, to know that sometimes blame or sort of who, who's at fault. Sometimes that is important. Sometimes. If one person's abusing another, if one person's being a criminal, you know, if, if there's something really, really big happening, which often there is, it does matter who did it or who was, who was to blame or responsible. But really, when it comes to moving into your future, when it comes to staging that comeback, when it comes to harnessing the fuel, right, and, and turning a setback and converting it into, um, into something, something amazing, the feeling of that moment when you take responsibility, and again, this is almost, this is the beginning of the, of the comeback. It, it, it's sort of in my, in my kind of framework mm -hmm. is that that's the beginning of the comeback, that moment, that turning point where you decide I am hundred percent responsible for my future, no matter what happened. I am an adult. And it sounds like for you, you're 11 years old and you were taking responsibility for your future. And that is rare. That's unique, man. But well, that I moment that where you take the responsibility and then you say, that's what I'm going to work from. And there's something very liberating about that. There's something very, very freeing and about that. And, and to me, it's a feeling of relief to getting to that point where I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to stop 
I'm going to stop complaining about blame or anything. And it's going to be, a, it's, this is, I'm going to take charge now. Yeah. So I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit on the, the responsibility thing for, because this is important for people to understand legally by law responsibility is different than what I'm talking about. Personal responsibility, right? So if somebody's abusing somebody, obviously they're responsible for doing that by to the law. We chose that person though. And then if it happened a little bit and something was leading up to it, we stuck with it. And yep. then we, we, we need to, that, that's important for people to understand that they need to take that responsibility one. And the other thing is at the end of the day, like, you know, I had somebody steal money from me. Okay. And at the end of the day, I allowed that to happen in some way, shape or form. So if I was not in necessarily responsible at the time where they stole the money, I was the one that didn't do a good enough job vetting them out to be in a relationship with them in the first place in some manner. And I have to think that way because if I don't think that way, I'm pointing a finger. And if you've ever noticed this, matter of fact, just this week, I started to notice this. I started noticing that when you blame people, you're doing it to avoid responsibility. For some reason, your subconscious mind's trying to tell you that you're right and it's got to justify it. So blame somebody else, but it never, ever, ever feels good when you blame someone. It's, I've never had a good feeling when I go, oh, he's the one that did it. Uh, and you just have this, like this feeling and there's, there's no joy that ever comes from it. So I, I, I just think that people like don't realize that because it's a, it's a, it's an automatic reaction for us to do that. Like sure, it's your fault, it's your fault. And, uh, and I just realized that this week, I, that's crazy, but how it doesn't ever feel good to blame people. So um, that, that is like, that's a whole, I mean, to me, that's a whole other that, conversation. That's a, that's a really great half an hour conversation right there. Podcast conversation right there. You know, the, the feeling that you get from blaming another person, even if they're, um, even if they're quote unquote, they did something right, right. They know it up. still doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like when I yeah. correct my kids, even like when I correct my kids, if they, if they did something wrong, like I never feel good about correcting my kids. I feel like I know I need to do certain things there to show right. them the right way, but it still doesn't feel good. Yeah, that's a good point. There isn't, there isn't joy in that. I mean, if you get joy in that, then, then you're, you know, you're, you're not a neurologically normal human being. Right. So like, for example, with your kids, like what's wrong with saying, Hey, listen, listen, pal, you did this wrong, but you know what? I need to show you a better way to do that. And I didn't do that before. So let me show you that. And by the way, I'm going to show this to you now. If you mess up again, you got to take responsibility, son. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Right. And I, got, I, I personally, I work on that. I think I, that's a, people will come on these podcasts all the time and say, I'm an expert at this and I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I challenge, I, I'm challenged with, with my, my 14 year old, especially my son. Yeah. Like we, it, it's a personality thing. It's like, it, it, it's a battle for me. And I, yeah. I just want something good for him so bad. And I see the potential in him. And uh, at times I think the intensity that I have in my job and what I do for a living is a little bit too high. My standards are a little too high. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to make sure that when I go through the door of the house, that I turn it down a little bit and understand I got to build them up to that standard. So there's some things that I just, just a little vulnerable moment for you. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that. No, definitely. What you're saying is it sounds like you're, you're showing your son the, a concept of shared responsibility, right? That he's, he's responsibility for, he's responsible for his behavior. And you also, in addition, are taking responsibility for the parenting and the teaching that you've offered him so far. And what you're saying reminds me so much of when I was in high school, I had this really incredible math teacher. He, 
<laughs> he was such a smart ass. This one time he gave us a quiz and almost everyone failed the quiz. And the reason we failed the quiz wasn't because he had not explained the concepts well. It's because we hadn't studied. Most people failed the quiz. And so he, he comes in the next day and he's like, you know what? Most of you guys failed this quiz. And I've decided that it's really, this is my responsibility. It's, on, it's my bad guys. I'm really sorry. I must not have taught you this very well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to think he had thought of like two or three different ways to explain the concept, right? That would, that would enable us to pass the quiz or do well on it. And so he took that entire, the entire rest of the period to teach the same concept in like two or three different ways. And you know how we felt? We felt ashamed because we knew yep. that we just hadn't studied. But what was beautiful about that was that he decided that he was going to show us that he was going to take responsibility as our teacher to make sure that we got it. And so that's a perfect analogy here. So think about this. Blaming feels terrible. Taking responsibility is freeing and it feels good. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, I can tell you right now, when you don't do anything wrong, you already know like, hey, what's the big deal? Okay. I, now I'm not talking about legal. Get, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you I hear you. Yeah, I understand. That you didn't do. But I'm talking about personal responsibility, and it's a great feeling when you take responsibility. <laughs> I get it. Well, to kind of sum this up for listeners, it sounds to me like, and, and I, I agree with this completely, that, that the road to an epic comeback absolutely involves that moment when you move from, you know, uh, uh, from blame to responsibility, to taking that responsibility. That's huge. That's huge. Well... We're going to, we're going to wrap up with Mike Searock here. I have one more question for you. You know, so, so this podcast is all about being epic, right? So I would love to know what is the, the what is something epic that is going on in your life right now? So Mike. I wrote a book called Rocket Fuel and this book, there's a, there's a, there's an entrepreneurial book out there called Rocket Fuel. This is, this has more to do with comebacks and, and proactive resiliency. And, and uh, I tell some stories in this book that, uh, I've used to implement my concept and I show people that and I show people how to be proactive with this. But the thing about it is when I wrote the book, like I'm an understudy of Grant Cardone. I don't know if you're familiar with Grant or not, but Grant yes. has done something. And I just look at the greatness that he's achieved with what he's trying to do. And I just followed the blueprint. And so when we started writing this book, I started writing this book for impact and two to become a bestseller, not just like a, like a cheap bestseller, but really sell a, a lot of these books and, and took that intention from the beginning of writing the book. And then everybody that got involved with me in writing the book, I've had the conversation with, if you're getting on board the team here, guess what? This is where we're going. We're going to impact millions of people and we're going to sell this thing to millions of people. And so everything that we do, whether it's a thought, word, or action has to go towards that goal. Yeah. And so we did that. I'm, I'm wrapping up the book. It's uh, just going to edit now. It's on pre-sale. We've already sold uh tons of copies already. It's, it's amazing. Yesterday, I just got an order for 200 from one, uh, one order. And uh, it, it's a great feeling to see it come to fruition. Like you actually believe something before you see it and then it happens. And uh, I just want to encourage everybody. Don't wait till you see something to believe it. Believe and then you'll see. That's it, man. And by the way, if you want to get a copy of the book, it's, if, can I, Nikki, is it okay? Yeah, no, I was just going to ask you, how do we follow you? Where do we find you? <laughs> Okay, it's uh, MikeCrock.com. That's MikeCrock with no K.com forward slash book. And Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. I love Instagram. It's one of my favorite platforms and the direct messages in there are cool. So check me out there. It's Mikey Crock. Mikey Crock. Fantastic. And we're going to be putting all of this in the show notes. 
Mike, it has been such a pleasure to have a conversation with you today. Thank you, Nikki. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too. So ladies and gents, folks all along the gender spectrum, this is Nikki Bruno with the Epic Comeback with my fantastic guest, Mike Searock Sirocco. And uh, ladies and gents, again, for more great ideas on staging an epic comeback after a life-shattering experience in your life, please visit theepiccomeback.com over and out.